Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Wednesday. It's November the 1st. It is a new month. We got a new deal here. We've got a conservative legend, Roger Stone. He's come on to get the Kyle Serafin Show treatment to tell us who he is, what he's all about, what he's seen. I think you guys are going to be surprised. There's a lot of things I didn't know about Mr. Stone. And uh, we're going to share you his, uh, his story, his books, his experience at the hands of the FBI, my former employer, who was not none too kind to him. Very interesting guy. I think you're really going to like this. And since it's a new month coming into the end of the year here, we've also got a new sponsor we'd like to let you know about. Uh, support them if it makes sense for you. We really appreciate them jumping out. They came to us. We don't. We haven't had to approach anybody. So this is very cool. Uh, check out our new sponsor, and then we'll get started here. All right, you listen to the Kyle Serafin Show, so you know that we don't think it's an if, but a when things get bad in this country. And when they get bad, you want to be prepared. One of my good buddies says you got two options. You can prepare or repair. I recommend you prepare, and you can go to four, the number four, patriots.com slash Kyle. You can check out all of their survival goods, including their best-selling survival food. There is a thing called the rule of threes in the military. It's a survival concept. It says that you can go for three weeks without food, although I don't recommend it. You can go for three days without water, although that gets really rough. You can go for three minutes without air, but you can't go for three seconds without hope. Failure to plan is planning to fail. Don't be that guy that doesn't know what to do if the lights go out and you don't have a grocery store to go to. That's not where the food comes from. It should come from your pantry. They sent me the 72-hour food pack. We cooked some up. Kids ate it. No problem. This is a victory. Get it done by going to 4patriots.com slash Kyle. You could throw something in your truck, in your van, in your minivan. Keep food where you are in case you can't get to where your food is. This is a real simple problem to solve. It's easy. You throw a couple dollars at it and you can forget about it. They're guaranteed for 25 years. That's an awful lot of time for you to be solving this problem. Go ahead and check it out. 4patriots.com slash Kyle or use promo code Kyle if you go to 4patriots.com. All right. And there it is. Okay. So are you guys ready? Are you prepared for the, the stylings and the story of Mr. Don't call me Mr. Stone, Roger Stone. We're looking forward to it. Here we go, folks. Let's do this. And ladies and gentlemen, we are joined today by a Republican Party legend, Roger Stone. He's going to come on and tell you, because many of you know the name and you know almost nothing else. So, uh, Mr. Stone, thank you so much. For, I feel like I have to call you Mr. Stone. Is that appropriate? No, call me Roger because I'm old, but I'm not that old. <laughs> I feel like it in my generation, it was always a term of respect, but, uh, but I can appreciate that. All right. I will, I will obey by that. Roger, will you tell us where you grew up? I think a lot of people have a sense of uh, your name, but they know nothing about the man and how you got to the point where you're sitting here wearing this hat. So where did you grow up and uh, where are you from? I'm originally from uh, the New York city suburbs. I grew up in Connecticut, uh, in an Italian American family. Uh, my parents, uh, were, uh, blue collar, uh, workers. My father was a well digger. Uh, my mother did part-time reporting for a local newspaper, kind of doing community notes. Uh, and um, they were Democrats originally, uh, but over time they 
they became, I think through my own activism, uh, they became more attuned to the Republican Party. So they were what we used to call Reagan Democrats, who were originally Nixon Democrats. Uh, I myself am a veteran of 13 national Republican presidential campaigns. Uh, and I admit to you, at one time, I was a full-fledged member of the swamp. I was a very prominent inside the Beltway Washington insider in the old Republican Party. Uh, in uh, I worked for uh, Richard Nixon, uh, who was my mentor, uh, still one of our greatest presidents. Uh, you know, he ended the war in Vietnam, ended the military draft, uh, saved Israel in the 1973 Yom Kippur War from absolute annihilation uh, by airdropping $37 million worth of lethal aid to the Israelis, negotiated a strategic arms limitation agreement with the Soviets, uh, opened the door to China at a time that China was a backwards, uh, dirt-poor agrarian society in order to skillfully play them off against the Russians. Uh, there was no way for Nixon to see uh, that 30 years later, the Bushes uh, would uh, give them most favored nation trading status, uh, and the Clintons would sell them illegally our most sensitive uh, defense secrets, including our missile uh, targeting technology, which is really what those two things have made them the danger they are today. Anyway, um, I fell out with the Country Club Republican Party of the Bushes. Uh, and uh, in 1979, I met a man named Donald J. Trump. Uh, and that changed my entire political perspective. So although I am a, a conservative, for sure, uh, although I am a, a more libertarian-oriented conservative, a very freedom-oriented conservative, uh, I eventually figured out that the whole Republican, Democrat, left, right thing is kind of a Hegelian device uh, that is used to divide us, used to confuse us. That doesn't mean that there aren't good men and women in the Republican Party. There are. There are some. I'll give you an example. Senator Rand Paul is a, a great American. Uh, his father, Congressman Ron Paul, is a great American. Uh, but uh, the Trump movement, the America First movement, really constituted the hostile takeover of the Republican Party. I have been uh, in the forefront of that. I'm also a New York Times best-selling author. My book, The Man Who Killed Kennedy, The Case Against LBJ, uh, makes the compelling case that, uh, that there was a cabal which murdered John F. Kennedy that included Vice President Lyndon Johnson, the man who had the most to gain, uh, the Central Intelligence Agency, the FBI, the Secret Service, uh, organized crime, big Texas oil, and so on. Very proud of that accomplishment. I took that book to six different publishers, Kyle, and every one of them told me that it had no commercial appeal and nobody would ever buy it. It's a New York Times best-selling book that, with any luck, will send my great-grandson to college uh, if it <laughs> continues to sell. So, uh, I, as I, and I think, I, you know, to kind of summarize the who I am part of this, um, as I think most people know, I was targeted by Robert Mueller uh, because of my closeness to uh, Donald Trump. Uh, and they basically hooked up a completely ridiculous, fabricated indictment, indictment claiming that I 
lied under oath to Congress in my voluntary testimony uh, to the House Intelligence Committee uh, when there was no Russian collusion to lie about? What would be my motive to lie? Well, you lied to cover up for, uh, for Donald Trump. Cover up what? What was it I was covering up? Uh, as the Durham report finally proves to us, something I already knew, there was no Russian collusion. What they really wanted to do was to pressure me uh, into testifying falsely against Donald Trump. I refused to do that. Uh, my wife and I went through two and a half years of hell. You know what that's like, uh, the economic pressure, the personal pressure, the stress. Uh, but I still refused to lie. I wasn't going to lie. Uh, and ultimately, although you'll have a hard time finding this on the Internet, uh, President Trump not only recognized that I was a target of political persecution, uh, he not only commuted my sentence, but he also gave me a full unconditional presidential pardon. That last part is almost impossible to find online. It's It's been buried willfully. So it's, oh, you're a convicted felon. Well, you know what? Martin Luther King was a convicted felon. Jesus Christ was a convicted felon. Uh, it's uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's just vicious left wing name calling is what it is. It's kind of incredible how, uh, first of all, your story arc is wild. And I think many people are, are hearing some of those things and seeing all the bullet points that you just touched in history. And, and they just go, oh, my God, uh, you, you're you're an observer to so many things. But also, you're exactly right. Like, there's some pretty good company that have been so-called convicted felons over history, and uh, especially when it was about political persecution. When I was at the Bureau and I was at the Quantico, they, they were teaching us you know, that you never would do a standalone, what's called 1001 charge or false statements. It, it, it's like, and then there also has to be an underlying crime that you'd be a lot like, why were you being in, investigated, right? So you just pointed all that out. But I want to go a little bit further back. One of the things you said that piqued my interest, you said I was like a full-fledged or confirmed member of the swamp. Can you talk about it, your understanding of what that looks like? How were you part of it? And what was it? Well, so after Ronald Reagan uh, was elected, Reagan was our last outsider president. Uh, prior to that, uh, and he was not, like like Donald Trump, he was not the choice of the Washington Republican elite. He was not the choice of the rhinos. Uh, he was uh, thought to be uh, too extreme, too conservative, not electable. All of that um, turned out to be false. Uh, I was a partner at Black, Manafort, and Stone, which was one of the first uh, pre premier political consulting and public affairs operations. Uh, the company did do lobbying, although I myself uh, very, did very little, almost no lobbying, but we were the premier inside the Beltway uh, firm. Then when the transfer of power was set from Reagan to Bush, this was something I could not buy. I never thought that the Bushes uh, were conservatives. I never thought they were honest. Uh, I was uh, concerned uh, to this day, as I write in my book, The Bush Crime Family, uh, another uh, Amazon bestseller, I believe that uh, that George Bush and the Bushes, George H.W. Bush, were deeply involved in the attempted assassination uh, of Ronald Reagan. So I became disaffected uh, from the Washington insiders, uh, many of whom I had worked with uh, and many of whom I had seen up close. Uh, and of course, I was vilified uh, because I started suggesting uh, to Donald Trump uh, that he run for president as early as 1988. Hmm. I wanted him to run in 1988. I wanted him to run in 2000. I wanted him to run in 2012. I finally uh, was successful, among others, in convincing him in running uh, in 2016. 
And I think that that he is uh, not only was he already among our greatest presidents, but I think he is potentially going to be one of our greatest presidents again. There's only one man uh, in history, one president, uh, Grover Cleveland, a New Yorker, uh, a conservative Democrat, actually, who was elected president, then failed to be reelected in a disputed election, uh, and then returned to the White House. So it can be done. It has been done. Uh, the question is only, can it be done in time to save the country, given the disastrous policies of the current administration? I'm, I'm sort of embarrassed to say that I don't remember the, search, the circumstances around Grover Cleveland and what was happening at that time. What, were the, what was the backdrop in the country that happened during that contested and his, you know, on and off? You had a huge fight over uh, over our monetary system and whether the dollar should be backed with gold uh, or silver. Uh, it was the defining issue of the day. Many people thought that the presidency had been stolen from Cleveland, who was uh, very, who had actually uh, been the governor of New York, been the mayor of Buffalo, been the sheriff, I think, of Erie County, New York. Uh, he was known for his honesty, uh, but he was an outsider much like Donald Trump, although he was a Democrat. The point, I guess, is just that there is a historical precedent. Uh, and we're in a race, in my opinion, against time, because the policies of this administration, these are not, you know, these are not mistakes. These are not uh, ill-conceived ideas, well-meaning but misguided policies. This is a willful effort to destroy our country, to flood our country with the illegals uh, who bring with them drugs and pestilence and crime, uh, to uh, continue to print money like there is no tomorrow. We seem more concerned with the borders of Ukraine than with our own borders. Uh, and now I think we are very swiftly moving towards a two-front war. We, we we're on the, the cusp, in my opinion, of World War III, and this administration seems to be prepared to move us there very quickly. So I really fear for the country, uh, and uh, I uh, obviously deeply concerned uh, about the weaponization of our judicial system uh, and our law enforcement agencies and our intelligence agencies, because they are the only ones who can stop Donald Trump from being elected president. If we have a free, fair, honest, transparent election, Trump will win this election handsomely. Uh, they seek to destroy him through a series of prosecutions, both at the state and federal level, uh, that I think is unprecedented uh, and extraordinarily dangerous. I have been in that DC meat grinder. I know exactly what this is like. Uh, I predicted back in April uh, that the judge in DC would in fact issue a gag order against Donald Trump, which prevents him from defending himself in public, in any public forum, including social media. Uh, the judge has now done that. The fact that she stayed it pending a hearing uh, does not change my view that she will ultimately uh, order uh, that, uh, that uh, gag order, which I think is very deleterious to his uh, campaign. 
And really dangerous for the First Amendment. There, there's this concept, and I know it comes from people like Saul Alinsky talking about rules for radicals, but even more simply, they, they, there's always this push to do something at a sort of radical and extreme, push the envelope, and then pull back to a, a position that is less extreme, but still untenable, and they act like that's moderation. And it feels like the uh, the Obama appointee judge has kind of done that with this hearing, maybe. Um, and if you want to reflect on that, I've got to, I've got to, I want to know about the inside because you talked about some transitions that I think are going to be fascinating to people. But if you have thoughts on that. First of all, the Trump's lawyers filed a motion for a stay. So I believe I'm not an attorney, but I believe the judge is essentially required to hold a hearing uh, and she'll do that. But but the, the arguments uh, that his free speech rights should not be infringed because he is a candidate for president, among other reasons, uh, has already been rejected by this judge. Mm -hmm. uh, and I suspect that uh, that he will be gagged. In my case, the judge issued a gag order on me. Uh, the putative reason for this was that my defending myself on what by then was my anemic uh, social media following because I was banned for life on uh, Twitter, now known as X. I was banned for life on Facebook. I was banned for life on Instagram. Uh, I really had no forum to defend myself. But the reason I had to be I had to be gagged was because I might taint the jury pool through the defense of myself. Uh, the problem with that is that in my case, the judge left the gag order on me after I was convicted, uh, when I was awaiting sentencing, uh, and after I was sentenced, uh, awaiting the date to be incarcerated. So it's pretty clear that the goal was to just silence me, period. In other words, let's gag him. Uh, before we lynch him. Uh, that's kind of the way it works in D.C. We did learn after the trial uh, that the jury forewoman in my trial, the one who said during jury selection that she had no idea who I was, that she was unfamiliar with my case, uh, had in fact been attacking me uh, and President Trump on both Twitter and Facebook, but kept those attacks on me in a, a private setting and then tried to quietly delete them after uh, the uh, trial was over and I had been convicted. Thanks to the journalist Mike Cernovich, uh, we learned about that. Should have been, by all legal basis, grounds for, at a minimum, a new trial, uh, although a new trial after I spent three and a half million dollars that I had to raise penny by penny for my defense uh, would have been impossible to finance and probably would have had, given the jury pool in DC, uh, and the animus of the judge probably would have had the exact same result. I still should have been entitled to a new trial. Uh, but uh, here's what I learned in D.C. Uh, the rules, the evidence, the Constitution, the facts, reality, none of these things matter. They just they don't matter. Uh, not not in the District of Columbia. Uh, even today, after church, I take my family to lunch, uh, and I have some bozo calling me a Russian spy and a Russian traitor. The government produced no evidence whatsoever at my trial that I was in touch with any Russians, uh, or that. Uh, and the one conversation I did have with Guccifer 2.0, who the intelligence agencies insist is a Russian asset, took place months after the WikiLeaks had already published the alleged hacked uh, information from the DNC. So it's after the fact, uh, impossible uh, to therefore for me to have colluded uh, with him. 
By the way, the contents of our 28-word exchange on Twitter direct messages is completely innocuous. Uh, as you, you put it best, there is no underlying crime. What was the underlying crime? What, what was the motive for me to lie? Uh, I did make misstatements, but they're, they're all completely irrelevant. They're minor. It was just an effort, essentially, to uh, find some basis to charge me so I could be pressured to uh, turn on Trump. That's because they found no evidence of Russian collusion, so they had to try to manufacture it. Sure. And people are now becoming aware in the same way that they're seeing that the FBI uses sort of entrapment cases that are morally equivalent, if not legally equivalent in the uh, counterterrorism case. They're doing the same thing, these perjury traps that people are finding and, and you and Michael Flynn and some of the others were sort of victims of it. OK, I want to I want to dig back into something. You just said that there's basically no concept of Constitution facts. Uh, they don't play by the law in D.C. How long do you think that's been the case in the D.C. court system? Uh, it has certainly been true uh, since Obama became president. I mean, you just have it's very hard to find a Republican judge or uh, or, a, or a, a partisan judge there. I mean, for example, uh, when I was gagged, um, I believed that my gag was unconstitutional. I still do. So um, we filed a writ of mandamus, which was the only legal way to challenge it. Uh, and uh, the circuit court sat on that for eight months. That's eight months in which I'm taking, you know, incoming from CNN, MSNBC, and the Washington Post, uh, all the dominant news media within the jurisdiction where I was going to go to trial. Then literally days before my trial was to begin, the circuit court ruled that it, my motion, my writ of mandamus was not ripe for a decision because I had not eight months previously uh, asked the judge who put the gag order on me to remove it, which of course she would never have done anyway. So they stall, it's a perfect example. Uh, that's why I am not optimistic, even though the judge in DC has, I guess, uh, scheduling hearings uh, over the uh, current gag order. Um, Donald Trump needs to be very, very, very careful. Um, they would like nothing better than to charge him uh, with violating a gag order as a pretext uh, to incarcerate him prior to trial. I know that find, people find that hard to believe. They shouldn't. It is, it's reality. It makes perfect sense to me. My friends and I have a very simple statement about this. The process is the punishment. And you've experienced it. I know we've experienced it. But uh, I think Donald Trump is experiencing it too. It's a weaponized process. And so it doesn't matter if you go through the right steps. There's always some technical you know, uh, violation that they're going to find, and they're going to be able to get the outcome they're looking for. I want to, I want to trigger back to something you said earlier. You talked about the transition from Reagan to Bush, and I think that is a probably a fascinating, a, a, a fascinating look behind the curtain that many people do not have access to, and you, you were in a unique position to see. So, can you talk about the the sort of discussions, the uh, the meetings, um, maybe the letters or the phone calls that were taking place to hand power from one organization from one regime to the next? and what those decisions were made on and who made them and and when they decided like this is the next candidate we're going to push forward and how and why because a lot of that that insider baseball nobody ever sees it and maybe nobody ever will if it's not talked about and you know it's been written about but it's not accessible in a form where you know you you're a you're a first-hand participant in some of that stuff i imagine well the crucial decision in my opinion goes back to the republican uh, national convention uh in uh, i guess it would have been detroit uh and uh it was at that juncture uh, that 
Ronald Reagan had decimated George H.W. Bush. Now, George H.W. Bush had lost two races for the U.S. Senate in Texas, uh, had uh, existed politically on the basis of a bunch of appointments, first by uh, President uh, Nixon, who had a political debt of gratitude uh, to George H.W. Bush's father, Senator Prescott Bush, mm -hmm. who was a partner at Brown Brothers Harriman and also the U.S. Senator from my native state of Connecticut, uh, and later Gerald Ford. George H.W. Bush became CIA director uh, under Gerald Ford uh, only on the condition that he signed an agreement uh, that he would not be a candidate for president or vice president in 1976. Uh, Bush Sr. always resented that, thought that, uh, that uh, uh, Gerald Ford's chief of staff, Don Rumsfeld, later Secretary of Defense, um, had uh, maneuvered to, uh, to keep Bush out of the vice presidential sweepstakes and thus out of the line of succession. Uh, when the political directors for Ronald Reagan met, and there were 10 of us, uh, to talk about who should be vice president, there was not a single person who supported the appointment of George Bush. Not one. Uh, yet two nights later, uh, Reagan uh, had become persuaded uh, by pollsters and others in the party uh, that he needed suburban moderate votes and that George Bush could help him get those. And that is when I think the fatal decision was made. That was when Ronald Reagan essentially breathed life back into the dead political career of George H. W. Bush. The chemistry between the Reagans and the Bushes was never good. Uh, Reagan did not have much respect uh, for Bush because he had vanquished him uh, in the famous Nashua uh, debate of 1980. Uh, but if you want to pinpoint uh, the exact point in which those who really had controlled the country since 1963 uh, upon the assassination of John F. Kennedy, strangely enough, although a millionaire, also your last, uh, your previous outsider president, not the choice of the Washington power establishment, although very popular uh, in the media, um, I, would, uh, I would tag it to the rise of George H.W. Bush, who spoke openly about the new world order. That's what we're experiencing right now. This is the new world order that he was speaking about. Uh, as I said, I've written an entire book on this called The Bush Crime Family. Uh, it's available at stonezone.com. You should check it out. 100%. Uh, and, and all this stuff is so fascinating that you think about there was a time when the media and the so-called establishments were not the same thing. At some point, they fused. Do you know, do you have a sense of when that happened, when they kind of got in line and got their marching orders uh, issued from the same place? It's very hard to put your fingers about, uh, about it. They were always more establishment-oriented uh, than not. Uh, but there were outliers, uh, and the media had a greater balance. So there were more conservative media outlets. There were more liberal media outlets. Today, it'd be very hard put to pinpoint a conservative-oriented national newspaper. There are none that exist. Uh, but we also know, uh, and has now been documented, uh, that the Central Intelligence Agency uh, invested a lot of money and time into infiltrating uh, and buying media assets under Operation Mockingbird. No, this is not a conspiracy theory. Uh, you know, the guy, it's interesting, the guy who blurted this out 
was Carl Bernstein. Uh, Woodward and Bernstein, of course, were the two celebrated Washington Post reporters who created the false narrative surrounding Watergate. Uh, but when Bernstein began to believe that Woodward was going to cut him out of a lot of the profits from uh, the book, uh, uh, All the President's Men, as well as the movie, he published a very important and I think uh, 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 seminal piece uh, in Rolling Stone magazine, which was as left-wing then as it is today, outlying uh, Operation Mockingbird, basically saying, if you guys are going to cut me out of the money, well, I'm going to expose your entire phony deal. Uh, the point people need to understand today is that um, the people who are claiming to practice journalism uh, at the Washington Post, at the New York Times, uh, at any of the three networks, particularly ABC, uh, these people are all government paid for or government controlled uh, assets. Uh, uh, every single bit of them. Ken Delanian, for example, uh, at, uh, at NBC, um, was fired by the Chicago Tribune for clearing his stories with, with Langley, with the CIA, longtime CIA operative, even today. Now, he would tell you- What could go wrong with that, Roger? What could, what could go wrong with just making sure the government's cool with your stories? particularly since you're probably on their payroll. Not, <laughs> he would try to convince you he's just a, an honest reporter. I have a very good friend who recently left NBC, uh, had a very storied career as a journalist, uh, uh, and uh, was a, an honest reporter, literally had no biases. I think called him as he saw them. Uh, took a job at NBC, didn't last uh, six months, came away saying, this isn't, uh, a, this isn't journalism. This isn't a news outlet. This is a propaganda front, uh, and um, that is really the case. So uh, it's uh, and of course they weaponize uh, the the internet, particularly Google. So uh, sure, I'm very well known, but if you put my name into Google in a news search or even a web search, the first 45 pages will be 100% negative. Uh, and we'll give you a number of false impressions. Sorry, no one ever produced any evidence of Russian collusion or WikiLeaks collaboration on my part. In fact, Kyle, it's more incredible than that. On November 3rd, 2020, which is Election Day, the busiest news day of the year, uh, because a federal judge ordered it, the Department of Justice was forced uh, to release the last remaining long redacted and hidden sections of Robert Mueller's final report in which he admitted that he had found no evidence of Russian collusion or WikiLeaks collaboration or any other crime on my part. Uh, and even if he had found, uh, you know, a conversation between me uh, and them, which he did not, it would not necessarily have been illegal. You know where that was reported? Virtually nowhere. Zero Hedge covered it. The Gateway Pundit covered it. Uh, that's about it. So all those news outlets that continue to insist that Stone was convicted of being a Russian uh, spy, a traitor, which is 100% false, they have never repeated that even Mueller's report uh, contradicts that. that it's galling, uh, but it's part of life. No, it's it's hard to stomach a lot of those. And I've seen my friends smeared and, and I've seen you smeared and and you know, I think a lot of people in my generation right now, I'm in my early 40s, we look at it and we assume that whatever the mainstream media is saying, we sort of set our, our clocks the opposite and assume that's probably the case, which is probably the safest bet right now. 
But being able to manipulate, being able to get, uh, maybe not manipulate is the right word, but being able to help uh, guide media narrative has always been part of political strategy. It's always been part of what's been going on. And I'll tell you kind of a quick story from my father, who grew up in the news business and was at uh, KCBS when Reagan was elected. He mentioned to me that Reagan would bring all of these uh, once a week, they would bring in a bunch of local reporters from all over the country to sit down and have uh, breakfast or dinner or a lunch at the White House and have access to the staff in a way that many people had never seen. And which was a brilliant move, by the way, because it built a lot of goodwill and it allowed him to bring his message direct. Do you know who was involved in allowing and sort of doing that and, and setting up that sort of uh, decision process? And then has it gotten weaponized from there, that, that sort of cozy relationship to, to whatever we see right now? What was your father, Barry Serafin? No, his name is Charlie Serafin. That's right. I misspoke. Pardon me. Got it. Uh, look, I think that, that there was a, a lot more access uh, uh, back in the in the 80s. I think everything was less controlled. Um, more recently, uh, the press is monolithic. They're completely lockstep. There's a one decided narrative, and if you disagree with that narrative, um, you're you're censored. The irony here is, there's the people who want to censor us in violation of the First Amendment. Uh, the people who uh, want to deny us due process uh, in violation of the Fourth Amendment, uh, the people who want to mandatorily vaccinate us in violation of the Third Amendment, uh, I believe it is, uh, the people who would like to cancel the Second Amendment, they say that we are a danger to democracy. The people who are, who are searching us without warrants, uh, and as you know, there have been thousands of those now uh, determined, uh, those are the people who say that we, not they, but we are the danger to democracy. Uh, so it's, you're right. It's right out of Alinsky's rules. It's exactly backwards as to what is really happening. When did the left start using the word democracy the way they're doing right now? Because we have a constitutional republic and all of us on the right that push back say that. Uh, but they, it seems like every single person's got the exact same word in their mouth, and it's always a danger to our democracy, whether it be Biden or whether it be Pelosi or anybody else. They're just harping this democracy thing, like we have a majority rules in this country, which we obviously don't. Well, it's part of their talking points, just like uh, people like us are white supremacists, which, of course, we're not, or that we're Christian nationalists, although that one's a little harder to break apart because, yes, I am a Christian, and yes, I am a nationalist, if that means you're proud of your country and you... Uh, and you support the Constitution. But uh, name-calling, uh, particularly name-calling people who've been gagged or censored is really their their standard operating procedure at this point. No, it definitely seems that. And it's effective for the people that want to hear that message, that don't want to go outside of the, the sort of approved channels for the narrative. You mentioned Gateway Pundit. Uh, you mentioned, who was the other uh, group that Epoch Times has been doing? Zero some Hedge, Epoch Times. Zero Hedge. There's a handful of very good uh, journalistic uh, operations out there, but Stone Zone. Uh, the Stone Zone. Stone uh, Zone, clearly. StoneZone.com, one of the best. Uh, the point, of course, is- that You just channeled little Donald Trump right there. I heard it. Yeah, just just uh, uh, just go, uh, go look for any of their stories uh, in your SEO search, in your, in your, in your uh, Google search, and they're, if they're there at all, Gateway Pundit's not there at all, it's buried. So they they manipulate, uh, you know, people's access to information, even when it exists. Yeah, maybe you can talk about kind of the rise of this alternative version of media and sort of the importance, I think, uh, that's that's uh, facing our country with it. It's why, for example, your podcast, I think, is very, very important. I encourage people to 
not only watch it, but to tell other people about it so they watch it. Uh, the bottom line of it is, at least for the short term, uh, no one controls the Internet. Uh, there are large companies that control software that is in very common use uh, on the Internet, so it allows them to dominate the Internet. But uh, until they begin taking away URLs, which, of course, could happen, um, there are still beacons out there where you can learn the truth. Uh, we have talked about several of them. Uh, and therefore, it's important uh, that people uh, not only do what you and I do every day, which is to have a daily show. Uh, I also do a WABC New York radio show every weekend at WABCradio.com from four o'clock to six o'clock Eastern time. Uh, it's important to have these, these outlets uh, that tell an alternative version of of, uh, of what's going on uh, based on truth, based on facts. Uh, but they make it harder and harder. Uh, they also put severe uh, economic pressure on you. So to this day, although I'm back uh, on Twitter, now known as X, and I'm there under Roger J. Stone Jr., uh, and I'm glad to be there, I make no bones about it, I'm still banned for life on Facebook. By the way, there is a Roger Stone on Facebook, uh, he uses the bio that I have up at, at X. He uses my photo from X, but that is not me. Uh, do not follow that person or persons uh, because it is not me. Believe me, if I set up a profile on Facebook, it would be taken down tomorrow. I'm not really sure what the purpose of this fake profile is, but believe me, it is there. Same is also true of Instagram. Now, what's weird is they never tell you why you're banned. Just one day, you just disappear. You're just that's right, unappealable. They don't, they don't even notify you. And of course, uh, my first instinct was to try to sue them, uh, and then I learned they're essentially unsuable because they're a private company. Uh, and now, as you know, there's a case going to the Supreme Court uh, as to whether the government uh, can be actively involved in pressuring or urging these social media giants to suppress information. Suppressing information. Uh, is uh, that's dangerous to our republic. Uh, the point is, uh, they want to crack down on disinformation or misinformation, but that presumes that they're the, they're the arbiters of what is misinformation or disinformation, which is, of course, not true. Uh, for example, just to give you one perfect example, the Ukrainians are kicking the daylights out of the Russians in that war. No military expert I know, no general, Nobody in the military, retired or, or active, tells me that that is the case. But that's the prevailing narrative. Uh, and if you want to go on any place on media and say otherwise, well, you're going to be censored. Yeah, yeah, of course you are. And uh, and I agree. I have friends who are also in have been front line there and said that it's awful, it's atrocious. So that's kind of sad too. Um, I want to I want to dig into some. It's not really conspiracy, but I think it actually is um, the things that people think are in a very conspiratorial tone. We talk about things like the deep state, which I like to call the administrative state. I think it's a little less sexy and I think it's a little more accurate, but I'm curious about your experience with it. You've obviously been a victim of government agency weaponization, and I think that's pretty well documented if people want to go and find their own information and dig into it. Tell me about what you see as maybe the rise of the deep state, how, how it came about, and, and the way that it's actually implemented from your perspective on a political operative as a strategist. Well, I think President Dwight Eisenhower was the first one to warn us this was coming. He called it the military-industrial complex. 
Uh, it is basically the consolidation of power uh, between uh, both parties, uh, the politicians in Washington, uh, the think tanks, uh, the uh, defense contractors, uh, and all of those who have uh, an interest uh, in both control uh, and money. Uh, it dominates both parties. Took me a long time to see that. I mean, I'm a former young Republican national chairman. I have a, an abiding sentimental attachment to the old Republican Party of, you know, Abraham Lincoln and Dwight Eisenhower, uh, Barry Goldwater, Ronald Reagan, who I worked for in three presidential campaigns, Senator Bob Dole, a great veteran, great American, uh, and of course, uh, Donald Trump. So uh, it took me a while to figure out that there's really one party in Washington, that's uh, the UNA party, uh, and they control everything, including their allies in the media. Now, whether they control the media, whether the media controls them, we could argue about that all day. Uh, but there is uh, there is one ruling elite, and the perfect example of their power, of course, would be the entire uh, uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic situation and how it unfolded. Uh, will people fall in line again for a second pandemic? remains to be seen. They don't seem to make many bones about the fact that they are planning one or that one is uh, about to affect us. So um, it is, uh, it's not a conspiracy theory to believe um, that they're all in it together. That's because they are. That's why there is one narrative. Uh, but it's also important to note that Donald Trump constitutes an existential threat to these people. Why? He is completely and totally uncontrollable. He's his own man. He sees everything through the through the prism of America first. Is it is it in America's best interest? Does it put American interests first? Uh, and he has risen to a level of popularity in the country uh, based on his America first populism that makes him extraordinarily dangerous. They know that they have to head him off before the next election because if he wins the next election. He's going to clean house. He's going to return uh, to a government that is committed to America first principles uh, and the Constitution of the United States. And that is why they're moving heaven and earth to destroy him, even as we speak. I heard you say uh, power and control, which I think are probably related or maybe the same thing. You said Donald Trump being uncontrollable. And you also mentioned money with the military industrial complex, the deep state. Is it that simple? Is it just about power and money and control? It really, it really is. You know, those people say, well, is it is it ideological? Uh, it is ideological in the sense that it is antithetical to freedom, uh, but, it, you know, it is, it is left and right. So the neocons, those who pursue endless foreign war, uh, those who have uh, squandered both our money uh, and our treasure abroad, uh, no, no party. They're in both parties. But really what they're about is money and control, control of the people uh, and vast profits. Uh, the contract to uh, to vaccinate members of the U.S. military was a nine billion dollar contract. Uh, perhaps that's what COVID-19 was all about. I think a lot of people think that money was certainly the route for that. We saw a bunch of billionaires come out uh, out of nowhere. We saw a bunch of local businesses crushed. So that would make a lot of sense to me. Um, I'm kind of curious. We're talking about a uniparty. We're talking about a swamp. We're talking about uh, sort of a politically entrenched ideology. When you start getting down those those 
topic lines. A lot of people in America that have started to get more and more fringe because they don't have any of the the tethers of institutions to believe in anymore. They they're all delegitimized. They start going to places like Illuminati, uh, secret societies, families. There's always been legends and rules about that. Can you speak about any of those? Did you ever see that when you were running around in D.C. as as kind of a member of the establishment that this was what was controlling things? Uh, I, I actually never did because uh, you see, I think it exists. I think these institutions exist. I don't think it is as formal as some of our friends think it is. So no, it's not like uh, all the billionaires sit around a big oval table and decide what to do together. They have their own internal rivalries. The Rothschilds and the Rockefellers fought over money and control themselves. So I don't think it is it is one tightly controlled conspiracy so much as it is a confluence of power in the hands of people who think uniformly. Uh, and therefore, you have essentially the same result. But I don't think the Illuminati gives out membership cards, for example. <laughs> I really appreciate that answer because it's the same thing that I saw in government agencies. You don't need to be told to act the way that Steve Baker did, for example, when he was, was it Steve Baker? Jim Baker, who was over at the DOJ and then at FBI and then went over to Twitter. He just acted in accordance because he was always a DOJ guy. Of course, he was going to act you know, and help out DOJ. He didn't need to have that, that uh, secret memo pushed over to him and use his decoder ring. So I guess the question is this, I've got a microphone, you've got a microphone, you got a radio show, you got books out, people can, you know, you're out there actively trying to inform people and sharing that. What is the average Joe in this country who's looking around saying, this is not the America I grew up in, this is not what I want to see happening. How do they make tangible movement um, towards a freedom and make sure that we actually have an election in 2024, which I've got friends saying it may not even happen that way. You know, how do they, how do they move the needle on an individual basis so we can all kind of collectively maybe get back to some sanity? Well, first and foremost, people need to not give up. They do not, they need to not look at the situation, say this is hopeless. Things are so controlled, there is no hope for America. Secondarily, um, the role of prayer in my own life, which I've talked pretty openly about, and which I'm mocked relentlessly about on the internet because I've declared my redemption in Jesus Christ. I don't really care what those people think. I really only care what what he thinks. Uh, that is an important part of this. But people need to stay involved. They need to be involved uh, in politics. They need to be involved in the local school board. They need to be involved in the local county commission. They need to not give up on America. And they need to stay informed. Uh, beyond that, we have to see how things uh, unfold. Uh, it's amazing uh, that with the tsunami uh, of uh, lawfare against Donald Trump uh, and the absolute vituperation and attacks on him on a daily basis, he continues to lead Joe Biden both nationally and in all of the swing states, not to mention having a double-digit lead for the Republican nomination. So uh, that is a testimony to the fact that people aren't stupid uh, and they realize that we're headed towards $10 a gallon gas, that there's a 76% increase in the cost of groceries, uh, that we're experiencing crippling uh, inflation, uh, that uh, the average income continues to plummet, uh, and that we are more concerned with the borders uh, in Ukraine than we are with sealing our own borders. Um, we are a majority. We should not lose sight of that. People need to stay involved. They need to continue to pray. Uh, and they need to continue to be active. 
whatever you do, do not check out, do not decide, oh, this is all untenable. This is all, uh, this is all impossible. What would have happened uh, if George Washington's ragtag army had said that at Valley Forge? The idea that, uh, that, uh, that, that, uh, that army of misfits could take on the finest, most precise military machine on the face of the earth, the British army, uh, in, seven, in 1776, that's uh, unthinkable. Uh, perhaps it requires some divine intervention, uh, but it did happen. Uh, and it gave us the greatest country on earth, a country that is worth uh, standing for, a country that is worth fighting. And I don't mean physically fighting, because that's the first thing they said. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, and this I think is key, and you can speak to this, people need to be not goaded into senseless or stupid acts uh, for which you can be charged. Uh, they would like nothing better than to blame us uh, for uh, acts of violence or acts of lawlessness. Uh, and people need to make their protests civil, uh, legal, uh, and orderly. I think that is absolutely key. Discernment is one of those pieces that a lot, that kind of leads you to these proper actions. You talked about your prayer life. Could you kind of give us a, a taste of what you what you pray for at night when you close your eyes? Well, uh, look, I prayed uh, that the president would recognize that I was being politically persecuted, and the Lord answered my prayers in terms of both the commutation of my sentence before I was to be put in prison uh, for uh, four years. The government wanted to put me away for seven to nine years. They wanted to give me extra time because I dared question the validity of the Russian collusion hoax about that. Mm -hmm. uh, I also, uh, uh, in all honesty, uh, my wife was uh, stricken uh, with uh, stage four cancer shortly after I was pardoned, which I think was brought on by the stress of the attack on me and our family. And the fact that we lost everything, uh, our home, our savings, uh, my car, my freedom to travel, my freedom to speak, openly. Uh, it's, a, it's a tremendously stressful situation. You are familiar with it. Uh, I prayed uh, for uh, her survival. And indeed, uh, thanks to the healing power of Jesus Christ, she is now two and a half years almost, a little less uh, cancer free. Um, I, I, I pray for guidance because I do think I have some role to play uh, in events going forward. I think my life was spared for a specific purpose. But here's what I found out, Kyle. God doesn't reveal his entire plan to you all at once. He reveals his plan to you when he is ready. And I'm ready to do his will, whatever that turns out to be. Uh, I pray for the safety of my family, uh, because I think with this many illegals in the country, uh, it is only a matter of time before there is an attack on American citizens in our own soil, something I'm very concerned about. And I Pray about quite a bit. There's some examples. I appreciate those. You tell us about some of the moments of doubt too, when you're going through these and you witness your government coming after you after you felt like you've been serving it for as many years as you've been involved. Well, I certainly went through that. I reached a point. I mean, I was naive enough to think that when I was charged in this completely, uh, you know, fabricated indictment of lying to Congress about matters that did not matter, that that concealed no underlying crime most certainly not any Russian collusion or any collaboration with WikiLeaks, none of which the government produced any actual evidence of, um, I became despondent. Uh, I became depressed. I became angry. 
Uh, I became frustrated. I became fearful, not so much for me, for me but for my wife. Uh, I still have to f- struggle financially every month uh, because uh, it's hard to sell your books when you're banned on Facebook, when you're banned on Instagram, uh, when you're banned in most places. People can follow me on True Social, uh, where I'm real Roger Stone. It would be nice to be Roger J. Stone Jr., both there and on X, but some squatter has my real name uh, on a true social, so I'm not allowed to have it, I'm not able to have it. But people can follow me in those two places. The economic pressure they put on you to this day is extraordinary. Uh, I got a, a subpoena from Hunter Biden's lawyers uh, a week ago. They want all my records pertaining to Hunter Biden's laptop, which would be zero records whatsoever. Everything I know about Hunter Biden's laptop, I read in the New York Post. But you see, we have to create this fake narrative that uh, that somebody gave me the contents of the laptop and I passed it on to somebody else and that person passed it on to Rudy Giuliani and he's passed it on to the New York Post. It's total BS. It's false. But I still have to go retain a lawyer uh, who practices in Delaware to move to quash uh, this subpoena. Uh, it's just a time-consuming, uh, financially draining, uh, stressful, uh, but that's the way it is. I mean, I have 11 outstanding other lawsuits filed against me, all of them meritless, all of them baseless, all of them groundless. This is what they call lawfare. It's what they're doing to Donald Trump, but on a much larger uh, and I think more dangerous basis. If you knew the kind of troubles that you were going to go through, Starting back in 1988, when you started recommending to Donald Trump to run, would you would you continue on the same path if you knew then what you know now? That's a very difficult question. I think the answer is yes. Uh, you know, I think I was safe for such a time as this. Uh, I think I have a, a role to play. I'm grateful for my freedom. I'm grateful for my wife's health. Uh, it would be, uh, you know, I could be a very successful inside the Beltway lobbyist fixer right now, if that's what I chose to do. Uh, But I chose to support the America First candidate, uh, and I have no regrets whatsoever about that. I think Donald Trump changed the course of history. I think he's going to change the course of history again. Uh, I just want to be there to help him once again. What are some of the techniques that he's suggesting um, if people wanted to break it down into soundbite format? He's going to go through and he's he's learned whatever the lessons were from from 16 to 20, you know, tactics and techniques that he can go in and combat some of this evil that's going on in our, our government. Look, I think that he uh, came to the presidency uh, not being involved in politics and therefore having the false but understandable thinking that there were two parties, the Republicans and the Democrats, and that the Republicans would rally around him as the leader and the Democrats would oppose him. Uh, That's not, of course, what happened. Uh, It took him a long time to realize there was a fifth column within his own party that was dedicated to removing him from the moment he became president. Unfortunately, he appointed some of those people to high and powerful offices. I don't want to name any names, Rod Rosenstein. Uh, (laughs) But but, uh, I think that he will not make that mistake again. I think he understands that... uh, that, uh, Uh, that he has to clean house if he is elected top to bottom. He has to start with good men and good women who support the America first principle uh, principles. Uh, And I I don't think he's going to make the same kind of mistakes he made the first time. 
what specifically would you call America first principles? How do you break that down as instead of the TM version of it? Well, I think it's pretty simple, which is every decision, whether it is a trade decision, whether it's a military decision, uh, whether it's an economic decision, does it put the interests of the United States first? Shipping $100 million of aid to Gaza uh, when we have 370,000 homeless veterans in this country does not put America first. There's just a perfect example. How many countries are you aware of that um, tax their citizens, take those tax dollars, and then turn around and send them to support programs in America? Say that again. I'm sorry. I missed your point. How many, how many countries out there in, in the world are taxing their citizens, taking their tax dollars, and then sending them to aid packages for the United States? The, what, what aid do we receive? I think that answer would be zero. Uh, it's time to put America first. In other words, there are hungry people here. There are people who need help here. There are, there are veterans who don't have adequate health care here. There are homeless veterans here. There are people struggling uh, here. Why are we shipping billions of dollars to Ukraine? This makes no sense to me. Uh, and this whole narrative that, uh, oh, Vladimir Putin, who is a bad guy, by the way, no one disputes that, uh, but he's not fighting in Ukraine because he wants to take control of Ukraine to uh, bring back the faded glory of the old Soviet Union. He's fighting in Ukraine because we signed a treaty in which we agreed not to put NATO-based Western missiles pointed at Russia on the ground in Ukraine. Uh, and we're violating that treaty. He's warned the Ukrainians and us multiple times. Look, uh, here's the easiest way to wrap this up. Weakness breeds aggression. Whether you're the Russians or the Chinese or the Iranians, uh, when you see Joe Biden and you see his policies, what you see is a lack of resolve uh, and weakness. Uh, you also see policies that don't make any sense. Giving $6 billion to the Iranians uh, and trusting them to use it for humanitarian purposes only when they're screaming death to America at the top of their lungs, that doesn't make much sense. If Trump were still in the White House, there'd be no war in Ukraine. There'd be uh, no uh, danger posed to, uh, to uh, Taiwan. Uh, there would be uh, no attacks uh, in Israel because of the unpredictability of Donald Trump. None of this would have happened. Uh, but as long as this administration continues these policies of weakness and failure, uh, I think the possibilities for World War III are very, very real. Yeah. And I'll add that uh, I probably would still be an FBI agent and you probably would still be uh, un unindicted and never arrested by my former employers. So we would have had some other very difficult outcomes. I'm curious about this. You spent a lot of time around D.C. You, you've, you've met a lot of the players that people just know of from headlines. Is Joe Biden unique in sort of the picture of corruption that we see, or is he closer to the standard of what exists in that area? Uh, Joe Biden uh, is uh, is kind of uh, unique in the sense that Democrats don't even like him. He was not their first choice for president in the last election. Uh, he was the last man standing. Uh, I think the Democratic Party and I think the federal government is run by Barack Obama. Uh, I think he's the single most dominant uh, and influential Democrat in the country, certainly the most dominant person uh, in uh, this administration. Uh, and uh, Joe Biden, generally speaking, not well liked in the Senate, even by Democrats. Uh, I forget who it was uh, who correctly said 
he's been wrong. I guess it was um, Robert Gates, the former Secretary of Defense, who served under both Republicans and Democrats. I wonder how that works. Uh, said that Joe Biden has been wrong on every major foreign policy issue in his entire career. He has always been a mean-spirited, uh, greedy, uh, corrupt, self-centered, uh, loudmouth, uh, who was uh, never particularly well liked. I think they made him president because they knew he was controllable because of the vast evidence of corruption uh, that exists about him. Uh, but I think he was even prior to his having dementia, which I think he very clearly has. Um, he was always a mean-spirited, wise guy who thought he knew everything. He definitely comes off. He always reminds me of that bully Biff from uh, Back to the Future. I just feel like that's like the 80s analogy, the guy who just, he was, yeah. you know, he he grabbed a girl because he could, he punched a McFly because he could, he got away with it because he could, but now he's kind of decrepit and he doesn't really have any of his facilities and he's, he's even meaner. Um, I wonder if you'll look into your crystal ball with us for a little bit and give us some uh, some ugly predictions. What do you see happening in the next 12 months? Uh, maybe the dark side of the of the ball and maybe the the, the hopeful side that we can kind of work towards. Uh, I, I, very hard to see, but I mean, we've already designated 2,000 troops to go to Israel. Uh, they tell us that they won't uh, be used in combat. I rather doubt that. Uh, I think we're going to see greater engagement. Is it possible that this administration could go out and purposely start uh, World War III in order to utilize the War Powers Act to indefinitely postpone the next presidential election? Absolutely possible. That's a worst case scenario, but I think it, it's entirely possible. Um, I sadly think there will, I, pray, I pray that I'm wrong, but I think there will be terrorist attacks in this country again uh, along the lines of 9-11. God, I hope uh, that I uh, am wrong. Uh, on the plus side, Donald Trump will crush the opposition for the Republican national uh, nomination. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis will be driven from the presidential race shortly. Um, he's out of money uh, and he's out of time, and he never had the never had the chops. Uh, in fact, uh, the efforts uh, now he's spending his money attacking Nikki Haley. So one candidate who's running in single digits is spending millions of dollars to attack another candidate who's running in single digits. None of this makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah, that all checks out. All right, I want to give people, uh, give you a chance to plug some of the other things. I appreciated you sharing your audience with me. So I wanted to make sure we did return that favor. Also, illuminate a lot of things. Uh, give people kind of the best place to follow you so I can get direct them to one account, if you would, and then your, your preferred book, if they were going to read just one and, and get a taste of what you're about. Sure. Go to stonezone.com. Uh, if you go to stonezone.com, uh, you can uh, see where the Stone Family Fund is. If you want to help us on the personal side, uh, my wife's still undergoing uh, cancer treatments and we still have a monthly struggle. You can buy all of my books, including uh, You See the Bush Crime Family. If you were going to buy one book, I probably recommend to you uh, The Man Who Killed Kennedy, uh, The Case Against LBJ. I think it is uh, my best book, uh, but you can also, you see uh, the Roger Stones, that's a stone to which I've signed my name. It's a paperweight. Uh, you see uh, Stones Rules, uh, my book uh, with a introduction by Tucker Carlson. You, there you see the man who killed Kennedy, the case against LBJ on the lower left right there. Uh, any of those uh, would be, I think, uh, most enjoyable if you like history uh, and politics.
I appreciate all that. My, one of my really good buddies said that uh, you're his personal hero, and uh, he is absolutely like a, a a staunch reader of your of your book, the the Stones Rules. So I appreciate you joining me today, sir. Thanks for uh, sharing your time with us, and I hope that uh, I hope this country continues to pull out of it. I, I hope you don't stop speaking, even though we're we're dealing with some pretty precarious times. Well, it was a great pleasure to be here. A great honor to be here. I'm glad to see that your uh, own podcast is getting off the ground. Please let me know how I can help. God bless you. You too, sir. Thanks so much. Today's podcast is sponsored in part by Patriot Coolers. You can find them at their website, patriotcoolers.com. You can also find them on social media at Patriot Coolers. Make sure if you order one of these fine products that you tag me as well, because I like seeing them. As a gearhead, you guys know I love seeing it. I like retweeting it. I like retruthing it and sharing it. Uh, check out their page for hard-sided coolers, soft-sided backpacks and carryable coolers, and of course, the tumblers, which I've been carrying with me on and off duty since about 2017. They're a great company. They've got a great product. They support our show, and they support disabled veterans. Visit PatriotCoolers.com. Use my promo code KYLE. That's easy to remember. K-Y-L-E. And support a brand that supports what you do. Patriot Coolers out of Houston, Texas, America is a good company with a great name that you don't mind showing off. Again, PatriotCoolers.com using promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, to get 10% off. And shipping over 50 bucks is always free. And we appreciate you supporting those who support our show. And that is our show. Thank you so much for joining us, folks. We do really appreciate it. We do streaming here live from Liberty Hill, Texas, in Texas, America, at 0830 Central Time. That's uh, 0930 for those of you over on the West. Make that East Coast. Yeah. What are you doing over there? Why aren't you in America? Get in the middle here. All right. You can support this show by going to rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin, giving us a like, or you can give us a five-star review on Apple, which is where our biggest audience is. We really appreciate it. And we will read them live on the show like we will this one right here. Here it is. It says X7 Cowan. Cowan, do you own an X7? I don't know what that is. Love the show. Five stars. Great insight from a patriotic guy that's willing to put his money on the table and isn't stuck on a certain person to fix the country, but an ideology of America and the Constitution. Ain't that right? That is correct. We are only here for the Constitution. We're in it to win it. We are only in it if it's America first. And I don't mean that with a trademark, some politician assigned to it. I mean, we want America to win so that our kids can live under the Constitution the way that I grew up. That's what we're all about here. We do really appreciate your attention. Folks, give us a thumbs up as you leave the door on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. If you have not done it, you can also share us on all of the big platforms like Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and so on. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Kyle Serafin. You can follow Ryan Matta at Ryan Matta, M-A-T-T-A Media on Twitter or Ryan Matta on Rumble and on True Social. We do really appreciate all of you being here. We look forward to doing this again. We've got Lily Kate coming up next. So hold on to that for tomorrow. Folks, God bless you. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter and True Social at Kyle Serafin.